Welcome to our new season of Thursdays with Third Path Live podcasts. On every episode, you'll meet thought leaders, role models, and change agents connected to the Third Path community. We've got an exciting season planned, and we will be exploring why the new ideal employee is someone just like you, someone who wants to live an integrated life. And if you are inspired by what you see today and hear today, please share our podcast with someone you know and join us again next month. Very shortly, I'll be introducing our two guests, Ed Frauenheim and Paula Spann. But before I do that, let me provide a big picture of what we'll be discussing today. So no big surprise, we really can see that flex and remote work is really helping with family well-being. And there are so many different ways flex and remote work help with family well-being. The ones we're really focusing on today is how it helps at every life stage, how it helps dads become more equal partners um, in family care, and how our experiences of managing this integrated solution and using flex and remote work, we get smarter every time we go through a new experience that then helps us be more prepared for the next time we need to use those experiences and tools. And you know, what we've always talked about on these Thursday webinars is that we all have a limited amount of energy. If you're a two-parent family or if you're a single-parent household, there's only so much time and energy we have in a day. But there can be many diverse ways we create an integrated solution. And that integrated solution means we have time for work, we have time for family life, and we have some time for recharge time. And what we've learned when you're following this integrated approach is that setting boundaries, whether that's around how much work we do or how much care we provide, helps us be able to find that right balance between work, family, and recharge time. And again, you know, what we've seen over and over again is that flex and remote work helps families in so many different ways. It helps us build stronger relationships with our children, stronger relationships as a couple, a greater ability to manage change, more time for self-care, more time to connect as a family. And you're going to hear this theme over and over again today, because what we're looking at is how we can do care differently, how by bringing men into the equation of care work, it really changes the equation for everybody, but how it isn't just about caring for <clears throat> children, it's creating time for care across the life cycle. And so that's what I'm showing here is a little picture that if you're just listening to the audio, it shows that families keep on changing over the course of our careers. If we choose to have children, we start out in that new family stage. We're not getting much sleep. Um, it can be a very challenging, but it's a very short period of time. Then for a number of years, we're in this, what I call the golden years, when we have young school-aged children um, still looking up to us, thinking of us as uh, these amazing people who they want to emulate. Um, and you can really get into this nice rhythm with young school-aged children. And if you've done that work of staying connected to your family and building that time for care work, then you get to the teenage years, and often they can be a lot of fun too. Um, they obviously children are supposed to become more independent, more, you know, have their own ideas of what they want to do at that stage. But because you've built connection um, with the, uh, those children as they've been growing up, the school at older school age years and teen years can really be quite delightful. But for those of you who are listening in with kids at home, the weird truth is eventually kids grow up and leave. Um, <laughs> if you're lucky, you stay connected to them in all kinds of ways. Uh, but it is not forever that we have children in, in our households. Um, however, care work continues. Care work can continue because we end up with elder care issues or siblings who need care, or care work can continue because one day maybe we become a grandparent and we want to do care. And so really a big message today is we need to normalize that people who come to our workplaces also have care responsibilities. And we need to create workplaces that support people to do care. And one way to normalize that is to make sure 
we see it as something that all genders can do. Men and women, all genders can be involved with care work. And so no better than Ed Frauenheim to help us with that conversation. We've had him a number of times on our Thursday webinars, written a great book, Reinventing Masculinity, a father himself who's been experimenting with these issues personally, um, he'll be doing a great job around why including men and care work is so good for men, so good for women, so good for organizations. And Paula Spann. Um, uh, I am really thrilled to have Paula here. Uh, she has uh, just, we just got connected recently, but she's been doing amazing work in this area for a long time. Please check out some of her columns in the New York Times. Um, she's also written a great book that I'll be talking about today. Uh, it really helped me think about all that I've been going through around elder care. And you'll see that she brings in incredible expertise about that later career, aging uh, care and needs of our parents, uh, our loved ones, and also the opportunity of grandparent care. So I'm really excited to have both of them joining us today. We've got everybody here with us. Welcome, welcome, Ed. Welcome, welcome, Paula. Um, really great to have you be here for this important discussion. I'm joking today that my background is uh, stars because we have a new launch of our website that happened this month. And so uh, if you haven't taken a look at our new website, please do, uh, thirdpath.org. Uh, it's uh, full of really good information about all the things that we'll be talking about with Ed and Paula today. Um, I first want to start with you, Ed. You know, here you are, an expert on helping men think bigger about what's possible for their lives. Um, you two have been on a journey uh, around thinking differently about how to arrange work and life so that you can live that bigger life. Um, what have you learned about men and care and why that's so important in the world? Um, either from the work you've done in your book or your own personal journey. Thanks, Jessica. It's really a treat to be here with you and with Paula as well, and, uh, and all the guests here, here today. Um, I would say that I've learned a couple things about men and caring, uh, both from my research and from my own personal life. Um, one of the biggest ones is that men can love caring. Uh, men are carers. Uh, we have that deep within us as human beings, uh, but we often have been told, uh, according to these uh, traditions of what we call in our book, confined masculinity, that it's uh, not really men's role to be caregivers, care partners for kids or elders, uh, that our role is to be providers, protectors, um, procreators, uh, and, and not really so much the, um, the folks that actually do the physical and emotional labor of, of raising kids or caring for elders. And what, what I have learned in my own life uh, is that uh, it is a gift to be a, a caregiver. Uh, my wife and I consciously wanted to be equal partners in, in raising our two kids. That didn't actually, actually work out exact, uh, as we planned because I ended up being much more the breadwinner of our, of our family. My wife's an artist, an amazing artist, but not necessarily a very lucrative career for her. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yet I did find great uh, job arrangements so, so I did have a fair amount of flexibility as you talked about. And I, for, so I did have a fair amount of uh, caregiving duties with my two kids. And uh, I will say one interesting element of that was that it not only made me feel more fulfilled as a person and as a father to be uh, spending a lot of time with my kids, being their soccer coach and baseball coach uh, uh, for many years, eight years straight. I was a coach for my two kids. Um, but I also, you know, applied what I learned at home at work. And in particular, I, you know, have, I have a very headstrong youngest child. Uh, she is born female, recently decided to define herself as non-binary. Uh, but I was, so for a while I was calling her my hip, my very strong-willed daughter and we butted heads a lot. <laughs> and I ended up having to really come to trust her that she was going to, you know, turn out to be a good person, you know, because there are times that I felt like she would not, you know, cooperate or be very, you know, surly. And uh, I had to apply a, a level of trust that was actually very fitting for the work I was doing at Great Place to Work, the, the consulting organization behind the Fortune 100 Best List. Um, and we were talking about the idea of a trust mindset as a concept we talked about in a book and we talked about in our conferences. 
and I would tell stories at Great Places to Work conferences about raising Skyla, um, my, my, my youngest child, and how I had to practice this. And when I did, good things happened. And so I could say with some conviction that if we can treat our employees with more trust, have a trust mindset, just like I was practicing as a father, the results were positive. And we saw this in our research too, but I had this great kind of personal anecdote that I could share. So I'll say that that on a personal level, this has definitely been meaningful for me to have a more fulfilling life, to be a, 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 an active caregiver. And there's a bunch of research on this too that I could share later, but I'll, I'll stop for here and let you you know take things where you, where you would like to, like to go next. Well, that actually was a good lead in to, um, you know, I think that's what's so fun about this work is that it's not just good for men, it's good for our workplaces. Um, and so what you just touched on is the idea that there's this, these skills we can develop in either, in either arena that helps us become smarter in the other one. And uh, I always use the, the, the line someone told me years ago about, you know, she learned her best negotiation skills at the dinner table with her teenagers. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, but there's just so many, I mean, I love that, you know, and, and what we've learned from the pandemic is we need more empath empathetic managers. And so mm. where better to learn empathy um, and, and that kind of emotional intelligence than being a good parent. Um, and, um, and so how do our workplaces gain from, you know, we're basically saying, hey, we're workplaces, we need men to be able to stay home with a sick kid like, uh, like mothers or other people have done. And we need men to be able to leave and be home after school. And we need, you know, men to help out with summer care. Uh, why, why does our workplace want to have that happen? I think there are two big reasons that, that strike me, Jessica, for that, uh, the benefit to workplaces that make space for caring for men as well as women uh, and all genders, as you put it. First is, as you just mentioned, you end up being a better leader when you are a skilled and practiced caregiver. That's because you do uh, practice uh, understanding emotional uh, needs and uh, improving your emotional intelligence, um, your compassion, your ability to um, stay calm amidst strife, you know, and, and, you know, temper tantrums. And so I, um, one of the things we found at Great Place to Work and research on the most effective and inclusive leaders is that they were very good at building trusting bonds with their teammates, uh, their, their team members. Um, and so that was a skill that, that does take listening. It takes emotional uh, empathy. It takes the ability to uh, take the time to, to not necessarily just talk about the work task, but to understand what else is going on in their life, to see people holistically, which is what you need to do as a, as a, as a, a good parent, a good caregiver. Um, and I would say the second big reason, besides the idea of more effective performance at work, effective leadership in particular, is that you're going to retain great people. If you want to have a, a workforce that's going to have awesome employees, it's increasingly important to make caring a possibility for your employees of all genders. And we saw, we see this in the research in terms of younger men being more interested in uh, parental leave policies and parental leave uh, benefits. And Jessica, you and I wrote in our recent article about how during the pandemic, men started changing their identities around caregiving, that given that they were home because of, you know, company lockdowns and remote work arrangements, there was some interesting research that found that men were taking on more um, active parenting roles and they were loving it. And they don't want to change. So that's something that companies have got to, 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 to address by saying, all right, we're going to make space for that. And we know that that's possible in, in some of the other research. You, you've talked about Alex, uh, Alex Pang's book about shorter. Like We can make this work for, for people to have greater uh, caring obligations and, and make work uh, more flexible for the, for the employees who are going to be carers. Uh, so if you want to have the, the strongest workforce, if you want to retain great people, increasingly, you've got to make space for them to be carers. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And I would add two more. Um, I think that when I think about someone, um, you know, wh whoever you are living an integrated life, back to that boundary concept, we can't do everything. Our organizations can't do everything. And if we as employees and we as managers know that in our hearts, we get better and better at doing the right things, choosing, the, making the tough choice of what can we do and focusing 
on, on the most important work. Um, and, and then getting smart about saying no or go slow to other things. And that's just something you have to learn as an integrated person. So I think setting limits is something you do every day if you're an integrated person. And our organizations really benefit when people get smart about that. Mm-hmm. I also think you have to manage change all the time because you're constantly, your life is changing. And guess what? That's our world today. And so you have this natural place where your employees are learning how to manage change. And that is the truth of who our world is and our workplaces are today. The list could go on and on. Ed, we don't have time to go into it in a a big way, but women benefit from men playing a bigger role in care. Do you have something uh, you want to share about why that is so true or an obstacle around that, around the, the, the role of women can play in increasing men's care? Any thoughts about that? We'll circle back to that later too, if you don't have a thought right now. Well, one thought I have about that, Jessica, is that, uh, you know, the, I think the most obvious point there is that women have a less lesser burden if, if men are, sh- you know, shouldering part of the load. Um, I, I, I want to make the point also, though, or, you know, to, to, to point out that women play a role in men being liberated, if you will, uh, or freed of those confined masculine norms, if they can honor and make space for men who are going to do that. Because uh, I think they're, you know, both men and women are affected by this, our attitudes around gender roles, what we would call confined masculinity. And it's um, something that, you know, it's men's work to, to, to liberate themselves. And as we, we put in our book, to, be, to embrace a liberating masculinity, to become more um, compassionate and connected. But it can really help if women uh, can send signals that they welcome that change uh, and, and don't, for example, you know, make fun of a guy that might be more emotionally expressive or that may be saying, you know, I'd like to share the, the, the breadwinning duties with you, you know, and, and not to say, well, why aren't you a real man? You know, there's, there's a lot of signals that can be sent even inadvertently uh, by women. But, uh, th- th- you know, again, this is, you know, I don't want to blame women for men not being what they should be, but I think they play an important role in facilitating men getting to that better place ultimately that does benefit women when there's more equal partnership and caregiving. Yeah. 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 Thank you for saying all that. And there's an example you've heard me say before. It means, for example, if Jeff and I really wanted to share care with our young children, when my mother-in-law was visiting that one time and my son as a toddler fell down, but Jeff was in charge of his care at that moment. If I swept, swept, sweep in and, and care for my son when he's hurt, because I'm feeling like my being judged as a woman, a woman at that moment, mm. um, I I'm step I'm interrupting our goal of um, expanding Jeff's role, expanding my mother-in-law's understanding of what men can do, um, you know, expanding my son's experience, who mm. is now 26 of what of what, what men and women do. I raised that because what I saw in my own life is the experiences Jeff and I had um, sharing the care of our children directly connected to our ability to think smarter around elder care. And that's where we're gonna introduce Paula because what I saw was my husband had become as equally skilled at saying, hey, I can do work differently. I can do care differently. And so along comes, we had four healthy, aging parents, Paula, only eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And I only have one yeah. parent now, because that's what happens. That's what happens. And, <laughs> and so there was a lot of change, a lot of painful right. change, a lot of um, uncertainty in that change, because each, I joke, each elder care story is a snowflake. It's going to be different from the next one. Right. And so over an eight year period, Jeff and I faced a lot of challenges around elder care and he was my equal partner. And what that meant was too often, partly because of what men do, partly because of what women do, partly because of our workplaces, women end up doing elder care in a substantially bigger way than men. And so what Jeff and I invested in early in our relationship paid off big time when we hit this eight year span of time of managing right. elder care, how, how do, what do you think about that, Paul? Is that sounding like uh, something you've seen in other families or? Well, there are ways in which 
learning to be a caregiver and learning to share the caregiving burden, I will use that term, it's difficult, um, will uh, pay off later because these are recurring cycles. So, and not everybody is a parent, but almost everybody has parents um, and will have to step into that role. So if you already have figured out certain ways to be flexible, certain ways to pass off care to one another, and very importantly, um, you have an employer or an employment situation that recognizes this, then when um, elder care comes up, it feels somewhat familiar. Now, I will say that these are different and employers need to recognize this. Child care, aside from, you know, the childhood colds and illnesses, if you have, you know, a basically healthy kid, child care is predictable. You know, you need daycare for three years or four years, then you need after school care, you always need summer care. And then um, if you're lucky, your kid gets older and moves on At elder care, you might not really benefit from a, a three month or four month or six month leave because it can go on for years. It might work better for you to be able to take a day when needed to take your um, parent or older relative to a doctor's appointment. And then you might not need to be off work again uh, for a couple of weeks, or you might need two weeks or three weeks when someone's coming out of a hospital and you need to kind of get them set up at home, get some home care going, um, make the home safe for them to use. And then if you're lucky, um, you can go back to work. And so they don't work exactly the same way. And I will also say that we shouldn't forget about the fact um, that there are people who are caregivers to uh, spouses, to young adults who are disabled, and they can be any age at all. And that's, you know, the, the least predictable uh, uh, and oftentimes most difficult part of caregiving. So yes, there's child care, there's elder care, there's care for your children or your spouse at any age. And then again, if you're lucky and I feel lucky to be a grandparent, um, there's grandparent care, which is the best personally, because <laughs> you you get to give that being, that wonderful being that you are caring for back to its parents at the end of the day. <laughs> and don't we wish we had all had that possibility when we were parents? No, there's no one else. It's just us. I, mean, I like to say that the... Um, you know, ba baby boomers will recognize this song that when it when it comes to caregiving um, in this country, particularly our theme song should be baby, it's you. <laughs> it's not the government. It's not, you know, some agency, like, baby, it's you. And you have to figure out how to handle it. And it it does change. And yet I, I often hear even when we're talking about elder care, which can can last longer than really dependent child care. It can go on for years. Um, and I often say that I, I rarely hear people say, I don't want to do this. I never signed up for this. Like, no, people mm -hmm. feel that they want to take care of their parents and their siblings and elder relatives. Um, and I don't I just don't hear people saying, no, forget it. This is someone else's problem, not mine. But I frequently hear people saying, I just can't do this on my own. I need help. I need support. I need information. Like, you know, we're not prepared for this often when it comes. We read endless books about how to be parents. We tend to be taken by surprise when our parents need help because somehow they were always there for us, chugging along like the Energizer bunny. And we think mm -hmm. they're always going to do that. And when they don't, um, there's a, a fair amount of panic and oh my God um, moments where you suddenly realize. Medicare is not taking care of this. Medicaid's probably not taking care of this. Baby, it's you. Yeah. 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 No, thank you for all of that. And thank you for, I want to underscore a number of things that Paula said. One is that sometimes it's, you know, just slow change modifications, helping out with this and that. And then along comes the unexpected crisis and that very truth of, um, how each elder care or aging person or care person that you're caring for situation can be its own unique story and keep on changing. And sometimes the unexpected crisis will happen. That just makes it so different when you're trying to balance work and these care responsibilities than with, with young children. Right. And, and certainly something I've seen over and over again in my own life. But I want to underscore something else Paula said, because I want to expand on it. You talked about how caregiving 
Um, in fact, in your book, she has a great many different things that you can read from Paula that are all wonderful. The one thing that I spent some time reading was a book she wrote called When the Time Comes, Families with Aging Parents Share Their Struggles and Solutions. It's a great book because to me, it felt like it was providing a, a simple outline of like how things might shift over time, starting maybe with home care, then you know, um, they stay in their own home and you, they're able to care there. Maybe they move into your household or maybe they don't. Maybe they move on to assisted living. Uh, nursing homes, hospice care. It kind of shows you over the over the care cycle what's going to happen in that book. But in it, she talks about this concept of caregiver gains. And I'm going to read a quote from one of the researchers who found this concept of caregiver gains. When you're listening to this quote, I'd even expand it, Paula, to not just about elder care or any care of a, other aging people that you care about. I'd expand it to what Ed and I were talking about care in general. Quote says that we really gain something from care, pride and being able to meet the challenges, feelings of competence and mastery, a sense of meaning and purpose. The role's enjoyable aspects can coexist with its pressures. They include closer family relationships, warmth and intimacy, feeling of satisfaction, and even joy. And I think that's what I see in the third path community, whether that's working that four day work week so that you can have that day with your kids or what Jeff mm -hmm. and I did when our kids were school age, take turns who's in charge after school, or as you heard me talk about, share in the elder care of our parents. There is incredible joy and pride from this activity. <laughs> um, I know I'm saying something you think about all the time, Paula, but anything you want to expand on that? No, I think that's true. And, and, and both of these things can be true for elder care in particular. It can be draining. It can go on for years. It can be a difficult thing to do. And I don't want to be Pollyanna-ish about it and say, oh, we can all figure this out. Um, and that's particularly true if you're also trying to earn a living. Um, but it can also, I, I've often heard people talk about how they got closer to their parents who had always been so independent and maybe a little um, uh, judgmental and who they felt needed, they felt able to give their last year's pleasure and meaning. Um, it's certainly true with grandparenting that not only do you get to spend time with a six-year-old again, but you get to support your son or daughter who is also trying to parent and work. Um, th these are the ways that families across history and across cultures have always been connected, have always cared for each other. Um, and I think we're, we're, there are exceptions, but I think we're mostly wired to want to do that. Um, the difficulty, I think, is often not our intentions. The difficulty is the need for institutional support. Yeah, well, that, that is a great setup for where I want us to go next, because I want to use some of today's conversation to really think big about this. If what, we're, what we've learned today so far is that people of all genders across the life cycle want to be involved with care work and also need a break from care work and support around care work, <laughs> um, what, what does this look like for the future? What could we really be thinking bigger around this? And I wanna give us a couple more um, concepts to think about uh, to help us with this conversation. Okay, so what, what I did to prepare for this part of the discussion was go back to that book. Uh, we've had Alex uh, paying on a couple of times on our Thursday webinars, the book Shorter. And I looked up a case study where he talked about um, a retirement community in Virginia um, that was experimenting with a shorter work week. And the way they uh, approached this concept is they said, hey, if we offer our nursing assistants um, who are punctual and can stick to their regular schedule, 40 hours of pay for 30 hours of work, how will it improve things at our uh, retirement community? Would this be worthwhile? There was a bit of a cost involved for them to make this change, 15% uh, increase in costs. Um, but the question on the table was, but will there be some 
benefits to make this change. And I'm going to explain why I'm bringing up this case study in a second. So what they found was when they supported these uh, um, nursing assistants to be able to have this opportunity, that there was quicker response time to their clients, less falls and skin tears. Anybody who knows about aging, less falls and skin cares, tears is a huge important improvement. Less psychoactive medication, that also is a huge improvement. Increased applicants, 44%. Less turnover, 128%. And so what they saw in this very concrete case study is when they supported those people providing care, more time for their lives, more time for their own care needs, everybody benefited. Are we surprised? No, we're not. In fact, what I'm trying to get at and what I'm gonna have Ed and Paula talk with me about in a second is that for too long, we've uh, seen this very work or care mindset be the dominant mindset of how we approach the work world. You're expected to show up at work, get your work done as the parent and then have somebody else provide care while you're doing this standard work week, whether you're doing it remotely or whether you're doing it on site or whether you're doing hybrid, you're showing up for your 40 hour work week and you are you know, having somebody else provide the care. Um, and you know, what we're trying to say today is, wait a minute, there's a different way of thinking about this. If we started imagining and normalizing that across the life cycle, all genders want to and are capable of and live better lives from providing some of the care, they can then participate in that care, flex their work around that those care needs if the workplaces support a more flexible approach. And just like we saw in Alex Peng's case study, it also means child care workers have more time and energy that four-day work week, for example, for their own lives. So instead of us building care on the backs of child care workers or elder cares, we are recognizing child care workers and elder care workers have care needs themselves. And we're trying to imagine a different, a whole new mindset where we think about people coming to all kinds of work as whole people with care needs. And by the way, just one more thing to think about. Those childcare workers and elder care workers are often women, often women of color. And so if we start changing this equation and we bring men into care work, they are workers who also do care. I think it's a Hope gives me hope that we can change the equation of who does care work and change our assumptions around in all departments. Who does care work at home? What a worker looks like at a workplace and who helps us provide that support of care that we're gonna need in addition to the care we do ourselves. So this is a big concept I'm trying to help us think about today. Uh, you guys who are listening in, this is the first time that we've actually tried to talk about this today. I'm really lucky to have Ed and Paula help me do a better job of explaining what I'm trying to talk about today. Um, maybe I'll start with Ed, and then I really want to hear from Paula. Sure. So you're, you're seeing what I'm trying to talk about. When we include men and make it normal for them be, to be part of the care equation at their workplaces, we are also perhaps changing the expectation that when we walk into a childcare facility that we see a man providing care there. We're changing the equation that when we walk into an assisted living place that we see men involved with care work there. We've seen already some changes around men and nursing. Do you see this connection between all these things? And will this be a good thing for men to have this change happen? I do. And I think yes. Uh, I have actually spent a little bit of time recently in, in Paula's territory, you might say I've been looking into dementia care in particular, 
um, and have been uh, visited a facility in North Carolina, uh, a dementia care uh, unit, and was really struck by some of the caregiving men there, uh, care partners who were men, and showing how to bring a masculine energy, a ma uh, the, the importance of physical strength to helping people move around and, and sit down or stand up uh, in the in this gentle but powerful way. Um, and so I think, and I know that it was some of the, in our, in our book, we talk about a, a guy that really was drawn to be a nurse, but for many years didn't feel like he was sanctioned by society to become a nurse. And as he joined a, a men's group that was freeing him up to think differently about how to be a man, he became a very valuable uh, nurse and, and started changing the culture of, of cynicism within the an ER that he worked at. So there's a lot of really positive things that can happen there. And I love this model you just put up there, Jessica, because and I, and I think it is possible for us to get this new mindset, a whole new mindset that is holistic, where we start seeing ourselves as human beings, not robots at work, because that's kind of been the model this, this hyper masculine model that is, you know, said all emotions and uh, identities outside of being kind of a generator of products and productivity. Those don't count. But now I think that the, the pandemic, as we put it in this article we put recently, has cracked things open. And, mm -hmm. and a, a lot of male executives leaned into our people are dealing with mental health issues. I am dealing with mental health issues. <laughs> this, they were more vulnerable and, and opened about uh, de declaring their stress or their depression or their anxiety. And I think this is a moment where we can start developing that new mindset, you know, starting often at the top where, the, where men of these hyper-masculine workplace cultures are saying, let's widen how we can be. Let's expand the horizons for what it means to be an employee. This new ideal employee you talked about that is a, in, includes the option and the the need to be a carer besides uh, an employee. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Well said, well said. Paula, when you hear all of this, what would you add? Um, I would add, so I, you know, my constant theme is, you know, good intentions need institutional support. So the, really there are two, at least two workplaces we're talking about here. There's our own workplaces where we're trying to make a living. And then with elder care, uh, particularly two thirds of older Americans will need long-term care, which means help with the basic activities of daily living. And much of it, most of it actually, will come from families, but a lot of it will also come from different kinds of hired caregivers, home care workers, the staff at assisted living, the staff at nursing homes, um, the staff at adult day centers, which I think are you know vastly overlooked. And so there are workplace issues for these workers too. And as you said, they are predominantly female, heavily immigrant. It is, these are not well-paid jobs. Um, there is a fairly high injury rate. A significant portion of people who provide home care need food stamps or housing subsidies themselves. And so one consequence of the of and that the turnover is always enormously high, uh, over 100 percent in many assisted living or nursing homes. People just leave. And one consequence of the pandemic is that when wages went up for other kinds of low barrier to entry jobs, fast food, you know, restaurants, hospitalities, um, retail, when you could get $15 an hour at Chick-fil-A, you are much less likely to work in a nursing home for $15 an hour. It's just simpler. Um, so we need to think about our own workplaces and how to make them flexible. And then we also need to think about the workplaces for the people that we want to hire. And so there's a role there for those employers. There's a role for unions. There's a role for government uh, in helping to make it possible for family to be compensated for care, um, to get social security credit for the years or months that you spend caring and you can't add those quarters to your um, social security uh, benefits, um, for government to connect people who want to hire with people who need the work so that the agencies, which I'm not calling for their abolition, but they do take half of everything that you pay your care worker. And maybe if you could connect with that person directly through a state agency, which do exist in some states, and the state vetted that person, did the background checks, made sure that they were who they said and could do what they did, 
then when you give that person $20, she gets $20 and -hmm. not 10. So um, it's, there are many moving parts here. Um, And yet it's, uh, there are groups and, uh, and individuals who are working on all of these frontiers. So um, it's slow, it's hard. There was, there was a fair amount of support for family caregivers and, and for paid caregivers in some of the early uh, Biden administration plans that got stopped in the Senate by Republicans and never got uh, into law. But um, it, it, is, it is a much more discussed uh, issue now than uh, 12 or 13 years ago when I wrote that book. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that really excellent summary of the multiple layers of challenges to make some changes here. Um, no, no surprise, uh, given the, your background, the expertise you bring to this conversation. Um, and, you know, what I really hear is um, that, and maybe I'm being naive when I say this, a huge shift in all of this thinking, getting um, politicians to think differently, getting uh, people who run those organizations to think differently is also partly coming from uh, valuing care differently. And when we include men in valuing care, it shifts the equation. It's no longer seen as women's work. No question, no question. And so to me, it's just kind of, this is why I wanted, was so excited to have both of you on today's webinar, because this is how we get this new mindset. We get men involved with care early on, and it's, it's what they want in their own lives and it helps them create that different workplace. Um, If you guys went and got the copy of the Third Path Leader, one of the stories in it is about um, Ivan, who wanted to care for his grandchild, just like Paula, and um, ended up being able to do a compressed work week. He's part of seven people running his organization, and he became the model for how to work more flexibly when the pandemic hit. Um, And so it's all connected to get to this new mindset um, and, and I, and again, back to what you said about, it's about the workplaces of the caregivers. That's why I love that case study of Alex Payne. Mm-hmm. Somebody in that organization said, huh, we could offer a shorter work week and that would make it more sustainable for people to stay. Uh, you know, they changed their, they did not have that high turnover. They really changed the turnover right. problem. Um, so it's putting all these pieces together. There's lots more to say, Paula, as you're listening in again, what do you think would be, you know, to our listeners today, what, what's an important takeaway for them as they're trying to think ahead about some of the care needs that they have? And by the way, somebody listening in today is pointing out just what you talked about. It's not just elder care. You could have somebody who you're, you could have a sibling you've been caring for all your life. You could have, um, you know, there's just care com- comes in all different kinds of styles and needs. Um, right. What, what advice would you have for some people um, as they're thinking about this today? You know, I, I think it takes um, a, a brave individual to say um, to an employer, uh, I, I need time to do this. It's not part of our model, but can I do this? I, I, I hesitate to say, yeah, you be the one who stands up and makes this case. I think we need um, to, uh, you know, I'm going to sound like Pete Seeger here, but we need to organize. Um, and that means, you know, groups at work talking about shared problems and present and thinking about solutions and presenting them to management. Um, I think unions can play a role here um, because unions do not organize only for more money, though that's always nice, um, but for other uh, parts of work that need uh, attention. I think we need collective solutions. That also means government. Um, so when, when, you, um, uh, when you have to wait to have your uh, terminally ill parent admitted to a hospice because they cannot get the staff, um, you know we are at a crisis point. Um, and um, so, in terms of bringing more people into care work as paid workers, making it possible for family caregivers and with defining family more broadly, um, making it possible for them to do this work. 
uh, and finding ways for government to support family. Um, I don't, I'm not brave enough to do it alone. And I don't think I can ask other people to do it too. I think you need to find ways in your workplace, through your union, through government, through your community, um, through your town to start an adult day center to um, provide elder transportation. These all are, are or should be group projects. Amen. Amen. I think that uh, this is going to, I'm going to sound like a both and, but I, I want to underscore Paula's point. And if Alex Payne was on today's uh, webinar, he'd say to you, Paula, the way that people moved to a four-day work week was, is because it was a collective action and was much more successful as a collective action. Right. Um, that said, it's so interesting. The way Third Path has been um, growing a group of leaders who are doing things differently way before the pandemic was because of the bold moves of some people to go ahead and try to do something different, um, despite what they saw around them. Right. And so I think we're learning this both and we need absolutely what Paul is saying, this collective action. Please, let's commit to the collective action. And thank you for all of you who've been those bold pioneers trying something different um, and showing us that we can do something different because we don't want to wait around for uh, government to change when it's been so freaking slow to change. Ed, as you listen into this conversation, what advice do you have for men um, around what we've been talking about today? I would say to lean into caring. And I, I love that quote that you you made you referenced from Paula's book, I think, uh, about the the gains of caregiving. Uh, one another term that came up in from my partner in this dementia care effort is uh, to really call the work of dementia care sacred. Mm. And I think there is a there's a spiritual richness that's possible through caregiving, care partnering that men miss out on if we don't move into this uh, fuller way of being a human being. Uh, and I love what, what Paul is saying about the institutional supports needed. Um, and I'm also hopeful that, that, that there's more and more evidence that the organizations that do make space for this, uh, are winning in, in the capitalist economy. They're the, those high road organizations we, we've studied, uh, uh, I've been part of some articles and research on, um, senior, senior living facilities and the ones that have the highest employee experience scores, on the Great Place to Work survey, they have the highest care ratings, uh, and that leads to better business. So there, we, it's partly about telling the story better too, along with the sort of organizational work, Paula says, but at that individual level, I would urge men to find a way to begin to care more. And, you know, find, find ways to care for your kid, your parent, your spouse, your, your community, because, you know, even if it's a little uncomfortable at first, it has a lot of payoff. It has a, uh, the payoff of a, a richer, fuller, more soulful life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting to listen to your story reminded me of something else that's about the full circle that we've been talking about today around care. Um, my mother-in-law had dementia the last few years, and it is both what Paula's talked about, very difficult, <laughs> hard work and spiritual. And actually uh, she played an incredible role with our kids when they were little, and now she had dementia, and both of my kids stepped up and mm -hmm. play, played a care role with her, and honestly, they were better at it than I was, um, and I think it's just, wow, talk about full circle, learning to be cared right. for and care, which is kind of amazing. I want to put up a couple of last concepts. Uh, Paula, there might be something you're dying to say first. Well, I just wondered if Ed remembers when... Um maternity leave became parental leave. Um, so we're going back decades and it was unpaid and it still is in many <laughs> places. Um, but um, I remember doing these stories about how men would not take this leave. It, it was legally mm -hmm. available to them, but it was so yeah. frowned on in corporate cultures that they, you know, they would take a week off and go back to work as if nothing had happened because that was yeah. what was expected. And, uh, you know, I, I hear more and more now of of new fathers taking two months, three months, whatever they can get, 
um, and the couple together, if there is a couple, um, managing the first six months or longer, just like in other countries. This is not impossible. <laughs> you get a year yeah. off in any Scandinavian country. It's not some, you know, complete fantasy. Um, but I see that change and I, I imagine you do too. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's what we've been talking about is how all of this is connected. We can do work differently. We can create that 40 hour pay for 30 hour work week and have better results at our workplaces. We can do care differently. We can right from the start have men, people of all genders be involved with care work, normalize that that's part of being a human being. And most importantly, what we've seen at Third Path is when we get leaders to think about this and model this in their own lives, they're very motivated to make change for the whole organization. And I really do think we can create better workplaces. And that case study today really showed it very well. And what we've been talking about all year long is that there are skills people learn when they live this integrated approach. And these skills are so beneficial to workplaces, not just to our lives. Um, and you can learn about more of these from our previous webinars that we've been having this, this year. Um, and that, you know, in general, we want you to continue the conversation with us. Join us on our Trailblazers group. Uh, follow us on social media. We really want to keep having you be part of this conversation. And don't forget, we are a nonprofit. And as you can see, our nonprofit has been successfully building a community of role models and change agents. Please help us continue this work and support our free resources like these Thursdays with Third Path podcasts by making a small annual or monthly donation. I wanna thank you both for being here. This is a, the kind of discussion I was hoping to have, um, really helping us expand our thinking about what's possible um, for the future generations um, of families, of workers, of workplaces. Um, Paula, do you have a last thought that you wanna share with our audience today? <laughs> I'm grateful for the conversation. I found it really interesting. I guess just as a parting shot, I, um, compared to parents, I think elder care, family caregivers feel unseen and uh, unheralded. Um, and so I'm just going to remind us all that the majority of older people in America who in the United States who need uh, care uh, are not getting it from any paid source or any government agency. They're getting it from their families. Um, and uh, it's a hard role. Uh, even with all of our help, we, I don't think we ever make it simple. So I'm just going to applaud family caregivers and say thank you, because when we talk about elder care in this country, we are talking about families. Yeah. And Paula, I want to underscore that. I'm actually going to take that with me going forward. We need to make it more visible at our workplaces, right? We need right. them, people to understand because flexibility is so essential and remote work is so essential as part of the equation for, for making that possible. And you need to make it really more transparent that there's going to be a lot of elder care workers or people caring for others, not just children at right. your workplaces. Wonderful. Excellent. Thank you. Ed, any last thoughts? I love Paula's uh, in, you know, uh, impulse to applaud the caregivers. And I'm going to just to make a little uh, kudos to leaders that are paving this new way. And, and one little quick story I want to share is Tim Ryan, who is the, the head of PwC, the giant professional services company. During the pandemic, he once took a, a Zoom call uh, in his daughter's bedroom. And he acknowledged in this Zoom call that his family was wrestling with mental health challenges. And to me, that was kind of signaling that here he is, a caregiver, a father. He's like acknowledging his daughter, this role he plays as a father and acknowledging that care is needed in his family. And I think if we can take the lead from, from pioneers, brave leaders like him, we're going to get uh, to a much better place. Thank you both for an excellent conversation and those excellent closing remarks. I really appreciate it. <laughs>